Hi, my name's Andrew Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. In this episode, I'm going to explore the world of self-publishing. To help me do this, I have interviewed four people, each of whom has had a very different experience of self-publishing. Later on in the podcast, I'll be in conversation with three of my guests, each of whom has taken a few steps into the world of self-publishing with three very different projects. But my first conversation is with author, professional speaker, and entrepreneur Joanna Penn. Joanna is a New York Times best-selling thriller author and was voted one of the Guardian UK Top 100 Creative Professionals in 2013. Many of you will know her as the presenter of The Creative Pen. She self-publishes fiction and non-fiction in print, ebook, and audio format and in English and other languages. She's published fiction under the name J.F. Penn and non-fiction under the name Joanna Penn. In our conversation, she talks about the importance of defining what success is for you as a writer and outlines the strategies she recommends for self-publishing now. There are a couple of references in our conversation to the day of the interview itself. If you're curious, it was the 29th of January and here's the interview. Hello, Joanna. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. So, Joanna, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt. I want to start by just asking you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you make your living. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me for a start. It's uh, it's always nice to come and talk to other creatives. And yeah, so in terms of what I do, I'm kind of uh, two brands, two people. And um, so I have a, a site called The Creative Pen, which I started when I was writing my first book. It started just as a blog about what I was learning in self-publishing and writing and everything, and it's now kind of turned into a, a hub. So The Creative Pen, and from there, I have various income streams. I have uh, books, uh, non-fiction books for authors, like how to market a book and business for authors. Uh, I'm also a professional speaker and uh, make other affiliate income from that blog. I'm also a thriller writer under JF Penn, and I write uh, kind of supernatural action adventure thrillers in my Arcane series. And then I have the London Psychic series, which is a darker um, kind of supernatural crime, a bit like Stephen King-ish type of book. So I have, and, and I and, and that's fiction, obviously, and I make uh, an income from selling fiction in ebook, print book, and audiobook format. So I, I call myself an author entrepreneur because my entire income is not from books; it's also from these other streams, which I think is sensible. So, so that's kind of me right now, and I have tried to balance my time between writing fiction and running the website and speaking and all that kind of thing. All my English rights I self-publish, or I prefer the term indie author because I'm. I'm I'm an independent author. I connect directly with readers, obviously using sites like Amazon, Kobo, iBooks, Nook. But I have 13 contractors who work for me, so... I know. I had a look the other day. And- Their team. So what, what are they doing for you, these people? So I have uh, several professional editors, a professional editor for fiction and non-fiction, a proofreader for fiction and non-fiction. You know, I have a tech guy who helps me with my website, a, bu- a bookkeeper, an accountant. I have an audio sound guy. I have a transcriptionist. So, uh, you know, I have a whole st- uh, graphic designer, book cover designer. You know, uh, when you actually look at what you need to be a professional independent author, you do need these things in place. Now, of course, you don't have them all at once. These are things that you get over time. And I, I do share all of that on the blog, um, The Creative Pen. I've got a whole uh, author 2.0 blueprint, which goes into all of that. And obviously, it takes time to learn. But once you have your process in place, what's so funny, I think, is writing still takes the same amount of time. Marketing still takes the same amount of time. But publishing takes me like I published a, a box set yesterday, it took me less than an hour to publish a new box 
box set. So I think the people get so obsessed with publishing until they actually do it. And then they're like, this is just not a big deal at all. The big deal is writing and marketing. Okay, so I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that you'd kind of built up to this because I didn't, I didn't want people who are listening to this to think, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't cope with employing 13 people immediately. I expect you, you just built up gradually to, to taking on the experts that you need. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned your blog. Yeah. And one of the things that I was intrigued to read recently on your blog was that you were saying we need to get back to basics. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, I think you know, there's in the indie community and the authors in general, there's a lot of fear. Um, I don't know whether it's the same in every industry, but authors and creatives in general can be very sensitive souls. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's part of it. But I do think it's probably the same for musicians, for painters, for craftspeople, you know, or in fact, um, normal jobs. I mean, I was laid off in 2008, along with millions of other people, uh, 400 of us on the same day in my department. So um, yeah, so anyway, in terms of that blog post, I, I wrote it because there'd been so many people saying, oh, no, my income's dropped off because of Kindle Unlimited or the EU tax law changed and, you know, in Britain, you can't sell direct and blah, blah, blah. And then there are a whole load of blog posts around people quitting writing because it was too hard and all this. And so my take on this is, and I don't mean this in a horrible way, but when people drop away, when the Kindle gold rush is over, when people leave because they're not making enough money or their books aren't selling, then great, you know, because this isn't for everyone if you love writing and you have the bug like I have the bug I love it I'm always I've got so many ideas I just don't have the time to do everything and so if if this is what you want to do with your life then great when people quit and go and do something else then fine that that leaves the rest of us the professionals the the writers who absolutely love what they do then that leaves us doing what we love so it's great so really um so that was kind of the first thing is don't worry about the people who are talking about these things just focus on what you're doing and then writing what you love so some people would say well write romance because you can be a millionaire if you write romance and that's very true i mean I, the, the millionaires that i know the author millionaires I know are primarily romance authors. I know a few thriller millionaires, of which hopefully I'll be one at some point. But basically, I write dark fiction. I'm not going to suddenly start writing romance to chase a few dollars. So basically saying, write for the long term, build up a brand. And, and in fact, Anne Rice said this, uh, Anne Rice, who wrote Interview with a Vampire, Anne has said that the vampire trend has come around three times for her. So she originally wrote that first book, I think, in the 1970s, Interview with a Vampire. And then, of course, the movie was made in the 80s or the 90s. And then, of course, Twilight came out. And, and so she says she's talked about these circles of trends. And so if you write what you love, eventually the trend is going to come round again you know like right now zombies are big but zombies are starting to drop off because people have too many zombies but they will be back so that's another thing and then I've also said think global because what's happening right now is just amazing so this time last year so we're recording January 2015 in January 2014 my main income streams were from the US and the UK some from Australia New Zealand and Canada that was pretty much it so I was getting paid Amazon pays per store so I was only getting paid maybe three or four different payments. And then what's happened now is I'm getting paid from every store, Brazil, Mexico, 
Mexico, Spain, Germany, Canada, and then what's happening, India, what's happening with Kobo is I'm now selling in 64 different countries, actually have sold a book in 64 countries, and then audio taking off. So, and I just, I'm just trying to get people to think further ahead so what we've the change we've seen in the last five years when five years ago you would not have seen people sitting on the on london underground reading on the kindle to where we are now which is people reading on cell phones kindles um tablets etc well how much is going to change in five years and if google and zuckerberg get these hot air balloons up and get the internet to the whole world we're looking at a very incredibly exciting time when you are in control of your creative rights so i just maybe i'm just uh bullish right bullish really positive about where we're going but i think if you control your rights if you're an, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you truly love writing and getting and reaching readers then uh, we live in exciting times well, I think it's good to be bullish. Last year, people might have heard about the sort of dispute between Amazon and Hatchet, and I think that might have upset some people, but we just need to kind of get on and do what we do. Don't oh, well, that was fantastic for indies, because, of course, uh, Amazon ended up giving indie authors pre-order as as one. It looked like the timing. It looked like something they were doing to kind of say to Hatchet, well, you know, whatever, we're going to, you can't have pre-orders, but we're giving pre-orders to our indie authors. So we got pre-orders out of that. And then... Um, just today, like brand new news is that Amazon's just opened up pay-per-click advertising, which is essentially co-op merchandising, which is what big authors have. So, you know, there really is, I think, now with ACX, with I do joint venture translations, we're into four different languages now. Um, really, and now with the pay-per-click advertising, with all this stuff, with print, audio, there's nothing you can't do <laughs> as an indie. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't. Mm. Yeah, it's all out there, isn't it? Just for people who are kind of slightly bemused by ACX, then is the ability to, to create your own audio books. Yeah. Do you want to just give us a quick definition? Yeah, sure. So ACX, at the moment, it's only open to U- US and UK authors. So it is ACX.com. It's it's uh, Amazon's company that is uh, distributes your work to Audible iTunes and Amazon so it's got the biggest audio distribution of all of these companies and essentially you can do two things Uh, you can either go on there if you're a rights holder um, you can go on there and do a joint venture with a narrator so all my fiction is narrated by professionals and we do a 50 50 royalty split so i haven't paid for anything but i've got seven books in audio and then the other thing you can do is actually upload a finished audio product and so what i'm doing for my non-fiction is actually recording it myself so tomorrow i'm in the studio for a couple of hours um recording the audio and then i'm editing it and getting that and loading that directly to acx so and that means i don't have to share the royalties with anyone except acx and again that's another income stream that has appeared in the last year because they launched it in the uk at london book fair last april so so you know it's this these type of things happen all the time this new income stream has only come online for me in the last year there are people out there who are publishing their own work and maybe they've done they've got one or two ebooks out and then they think they hear this they hear about create space or they hear about doing print and they're just beginning to think about how they would properly market their work so if somebody's in that position they have written something they're they're just a little bit bemused by everything around them what sort of advice would you give them well i tend to take it up a level on these questions because there's so many things you could do and it really depends on 
a couple of things. Um, firstly, what is your definition of success? So, and what is the book? So, for example, for some people, a especially, I mean, we're in the UK. It's pretty. It's just a lot of snobbery here. You're in Cambridge. I went to the University of Oxford. You know, we have snobbery in our society. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Um, and many, in fact, many literary cultures do. So, if it, a lot of people come into writing, um, like I teach, I have taught at the Guardian, and I'm speaking at Stratford Literary Festival later this year, which I, I find hilarious. But, but I know that people in those audiences. What they really want is to win the Booker Prize or to have a book review in The Times on Sunday or to be on a front table at Waterstones. Now, these I would call more ego metrics now, and that's not ego in a bad way. That's saying that what you have to you have to be honest about what you want. OK, do you really, really want to win a literary prize or be nominated for a prize. So, for example, take the Booker Prize. The people who don't win the Booker Prize normally only sell around 5,000 books in total. So I've, t- I've sold around 250,000 books. The, the book I was in that hit the New York Times was 110,000 copies just for that one book. So this is, this is the crazy thing. So my definition of success is not a literary prize or critical acclaim or a review in the times or whatever. My definition of success is making a living as an author is pleasing readers and getting good reviews and getting fan mail that say, Oh, I love your books and people buying more of my books. So my validation comes from readers, not from critics. So when you say, what does that person do has one or two books? It really depends what situation they're in. So So one, if you want literary success, you really actually have to go through traditional publishing. I mean, you will have a far better chance of, I mean, you can. There was a guy, the guy who won, I think it was the Costa or something, a naked singularity, Sergio de la Pava. Uh, that was it. That was self-published, then later picked up and later won that prize. Generally, it's much easier to have literary success if you're in traditional publishing. If your definition of success is, I want to leave my awful day job and become a writer, a full-time writer, which was my definition of success, you have to write books that readers want. So again, there's no point in you writing your memoir about walking across Europe when you were 15, unless it's going to be like Cheryl Strayed and Wild. Um, but again, traditionally published. But, but you know, that a memoir like that is not necessarily going to have a bigger market as genre fiction. So I would suggest people look at the site authorearnings.com. And uh, there's, in fact, a brand new report out today. Today has been a really big day in publishing, actually. But this, this, yeah, this report's fascinating. So 40% of the money spent at the moment on ebooks in America is going to indie authors, more than is going to, to, to traditionally published authors. So if you, you, people can go and look on author earnings uh, on that. Fascinating stuff. But basically, if you want to make a living, you know, indie, being an indie author, making 70% royalty instead of between 10 and 25% royalty, uh, is, is great. But then you also have to do things like learn about marketing and, you know, learn about Amazon algorithms and all this type of thing. So, so really, if you've got one or two books, and I wrote, wrote 
a post. It's called The Arc of the Indie Author. And uh, because you're in a very different place if you are, you know, if you haven't even written a book yet. And if people listening are at that stage, you have very different problems to me (laughs) and to you, you know, is that your challenge is to actually write a book. Whereas the challenge when you have one or two books is, okay, so what do I really want? I think also when you've written one or two, you're only then starting to discover who you are. So you're discovering your brand, you know, you're discovering, okay, I want to do this, I want to do that. And and there's so many things. And then it's balancing your time. And oh, there's so many things that happen at different points of the journey. Okay, if I was in a position where I've got two or three ebooks, most of my listeners are, are writing in science fiction or fantasy. Okay, yeah. The uh, decisions that people need to make in that sort of genre would revolve around, would I go to Amazon and use KDP Select and just, just use Amazon, or maybe would I use Smashwords, or do I work with individual providers like Kobo and, uh, and iBooks? And then if I want to get into print, who would I choose for that? Yeah. Okay. So it's a distributor question. All right. So um, on the distributors, I recommend going direct to KDP, Kobo Writing Life, Nook, and iBooks. If you are only, if you're serious about doing this long t- long term, because yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. I mean, uh, I use Scrivener to format my books, so that's not a pain. I mean, you just output the file types and then publish direct. The reason to do that is, um, for example, if you publish, that you won't get any movement on Kobo, Nook, or iBooks pretty much unless you go direct. I mean, some people may say may have had luck doing that. For example, Smashwords does have a good relationship with iBooks. But essentially, let's, you know, taking Kobo, for example, uh, if you go direct on Kobo, you you have the Kobo Writing Life tools, um, which are things like scheduling pricing. Um, they've, you know, they've got some promotional uh, opportunities once you're on their direct mailing list, as opposed to going through a distributor. Uh, so that's, that's one option for iBooks they have massively better metadata if you go direct so for example if you go through Smashwords or draft to digital is also a brilliant uh, distributor if you go direct on iBooks you can choose unlimited categories whereas you only get two or three if you go through a distributor so and on Kobo you get the uh, categories as well Nook as well you get keywords um so there there are benefits meta I think they're metadata benefits of going that way the other thing is if you only have two books you really are going to struggle uh, you know in a genre like sci-fi fantasy um you need more books and and then you also need to have your um the top of your funnel so either a perma free or uh, a book that you you price pulse you know bring down to a 99 cent and do a do some advertising and mainly you'll be building your email list so that you can start getting a list of readers so so you'll need again this is why you have to decide if you want to take this seriously because you'll need a a website um, at least a static page with an email list sign up and then what you can do is you know, if if your aim is to get books to readers, then putting your first book for free in a series shouldn't be a big deal. And then essentially that will get into more hands than than, than not. <laughs> and then you can pay for some advertising. Or to be honest, if you've only got two books, then going KDP Select is, is not a bad choice because you know, why not? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I, I guess it, uh, you're right. It depends on what your objectives are. If you want to go print, where do you go with that? 
I only do print on demand, which means the book exists on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that. And if people order a copy, one copy is printed and sent to the customer. And for that, I use CreateSpace, which is Amazon's own self-publishing company. If you want your book in bookstores then I suggest you go through Ingram Spark, which uh, has a whole range of better options for actual bookstore sales. So if you have a local bookstore that you have a good relationship with or, you know, you want to get in certain catalogues or you're speaking at literary festivals and what they do at festivals is they will, the whoever the bookstore is will order them in. And if you're with CreateSpace, they just won't do it. So, I mean, they just won't, won't deal direct with Amazon. So because CreateSpace don't do returns, you see, and bookstores work on returns. So, so Ingram Spark will do returns. But if you're going to do print, I mean, this is the thing. Return, this is why ebooks make more money because there's no returns. But every time a book is printed and sent to a bookstore, what they define as a return often is they don't even send the whole book back. Or if they do, you have to pay for the shipping. Sometimes they just rip the cover off. So you end up paying if you're self-published. So this is one of the reasons I think, again, looking at your reasons for doing stuff. And if you do print and you go print on demand, there's really no cost except for the cover design and the, the interior design, which is not very much at all then you can just upload your files to create space or ingram spark and people can buy print books online um but you don't have to pay anything okay well that makes sense it's good to explore these things in this way in this kind of discussion because i think a lot of people when they come to write they don't really think about what their objectives are in that very rigorous way yeah and i think i mean the important thing i mean you're interviewing the businesswoman right now but i'm you know i have two different heads as i said when i'm writing my fiction i'm don't think about any of this i still write the books i love to write you know very uh, dark stuff with lots of death and <laughs> graveyards and uh murders and uh you know very dark things so i don't want people to think that I don't care about the artist side. What what basically you have to think is you have one side of your brain, which is uh, the artist. And then what? how I try and think of it is my artist works for my company. And so my artist goes to work and writes for my company. And then my company publishes and markets the book. And my company boss, and right now I'm being the company boss, uh, the company has to think about these things if it is meant to be a, a business. Um, so I do have a limited company and I, you know, I have a very serious business. Um, but many people don't want that. And that's absolutely fine. You can absolutely, and what I love about self-publishing, of course, so I helped my 65-year-old father self-publish a book and also my nine-year-old niece. So, and neither of those prospects were commercial. They were for creative reasons and it, it, absolutely brilliant. So if people listening are going, well, I don't want anything to do with all that business stuff, then that's absolutely fine. You you write whatever you like, publish whatever you like, but understand that I get a lot of emails from people who have written what they like, published what they like, and then they wonder why they're not selling any books. So that's, that's why it kind of has to be one or the other. <laughs> Yes. As a, as a part of this podcast, what I'm also doing and have done is, is speak to three different people who are more in the bracket of your dad and your niece, a local history and a kid's book, things like that, a children's picture book. And one person who has set up their own company, you spoke there as if you were almost two people who are working together. Joanna, the company person, 
is working with Joanna, the writer. What do you do to try and separate those two people? <laughs> if we were on video, I would show you my diary, which has, and it is, a, it is a physical diary. And what I actually have now is blocks marked out in my diary. I have, I'm old school. I have a fire, file of facts. So I actually have whole days written out, uh, scrubbed out in my diary for J.F. Penn. So J.F. Penn is the dark soul who writes my fiction. And when I'm in J.F. Penn time, I don't talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a chronic introvert, like most writers. You know, I like to be alone and silent. And I either work in the London Library, which is a paid for members only library in the centre of London, where Agatha Christie wrote and Dickens and lots of... Um, uh, Bram Stoker and people like that, which is great. And of course, it's a library, so it's quiet. So I, I, I basically get on the train with my um, husband in the morning, and he goes to work, and I go to the library, and and I'm silent all day, and I'm writing and researching, and and then so those days a week, and I mean I'm full time now, but when I was, uh, I wrote for three and a half years before I gave up my day job. So I just am very hardcore with my diary. So now my my aim is this year. I was probably 50-50 last year. I'm moving into 70% uh, JF pen, uh, 20% um, the creative pen. So that's doing my podcasts and uh, this type of thing. And then 10% kind of what I call charity work, which is the Alliance of Independent Authors and speaking at unpaid events and like universities and things. There's an amazing change in the sort of, I spoke to a master's in creative writing class yesterday and, you know, it was just a classic kind of case. And that, I think that kind of thing is important. So that that's my split right now. But in order to main, maintain that split, I actually have to physically cross out the time in my diary. JF Penn, my website is black and I, my pictures are black and white and I have a, a kind of thriller look on my face. And then um, the creative pen is kind of red and I'm very smiley and very enthusiastic. So it makes it very clear to me and people who find my books and they're a very different audience, you know, who I am and what I do. But it took me a good four years to work out that split. One of the things I might say to listeners is, take out the bits that really you think ah, that's great advice i need to do that because we can all do it we can all find a level at which to engage with this sort of thing um i want to move on just to think about you the writer then rather than you the business person i just wondered if there was anything particularly that you would give us advice as a writer yeah two major things based on the questions i get one is finding ideas and the writer's block thing and all that so I don't believe in writer's block. I think you, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it, you, you get out what you put in. So my, when people say I've got writer's block, I'm like, well, either your book is so boring, you just, you don't want to write it, or you've not learned enough about how to write a book. Um, for example, I took a best-selling thriller and I broke it down, analyzed every chapter, wrote down like how many words, how it started, what happened, what point of view, what happened to the characters. And when, once I'd spent about several days analyzing how this book was put together, I understood how to write an action adventure thriller which is the genre I want to write in. So as well as write, as well as reading books on writing, which which a lot of early stage writers do, <laughs> um, is actually break down books, work out the structure, because um, the structure of a story is critical to writing a story. So that would be one thing. Secondly, Scrivener, 
software, which is absolutely amazing. So I don't write in order and Scrivener allows you to just write in whatever order you like and then reorder it. And also it outputs formatted files. So that's Scrivener. It's only 49 US. So it's a brilliant tool. And then also, I mean, we talked a bit about discipline then, but writers, writers write. So, so many people who talk about wanting to be a writer don't actually write. So even if on my wall it says, uh, have you made art today? Have you written a thousand words? Are you a step closer? So put whatever you want on your wall. But even if it's 200 words, if it's whatever it is on your, you know, I know people who've written books on their commute on a cell phone, you know, standing up in the tube. A friend of mine has, has written, who wrote like nine novels on his commute into London because he, he commuted nearly three hours a day. <laughs> and he was just amazing, you know, and, and then went and worked a whole day and then went home to his family. And uh, he's just left his full time job to, to be a writer. And I mean, he's doing amazingly well. So that you can do it. And I know plenty of women as well, stay at home moms who've written, I know one particular woman, um, a Mormon who has like six kids who's, who writes Mormon romance and, you know, again, makes ridiculous money. And she writes, what she does is she has a computer on her kitchen desk, you know, on her kitchen bench top and, and will just write a sentence in between doing other things like literally she'll write one sentence and then one of the kids will scream and she'll go and sort that out and that's how she gets her books written so I think you just need to write you know it's it's so hard it's simple but not easy I think that's the way to put it <laughs> you, you've talked about the fact you're an introvert and I know that I'm an introvert as well and I think actually a lot of writers are why does that matter do you think and how do you turn that into a positive thing oh it's totally positive they don't no need to turn it into anything i think i mean basically an introvert is somebody who gets their energy by being alone and an extrovert gets their energy from people so i love being with people but only for short like you know i can't be with people all day and and uh, uh, what i yes. can and then i'm really tired so if you're an introvert then the life of a writer is is brilliant because you you do spend most of your time alone writing and you're happy <laughs> doing that. I think extroverts struggle a lot more being writers because they miss being with people. And so I think it's a real bonus. Um, I think when I do professional speaking, because I do quite a lot of that, I have to manage my energy. So um, when I speak, I then have to have downtime yes. Uh, and particularly when I go to a multi-day conference, I can I can just be ill from you know energy loss. <laughs> but it's um it's the sh- the shy the shy outgoing spectrum is completely right. different yes, to the introvert yeah. extrovert spectrum. So I am not a shy introvert. Um, so when I go out and meet people, I'm not shy. Um, but I'm just very happy being at home reading. Um, that's what I like to do and what many authors like to do. Right. So I, I think being an introvert is actually a benefit for writers. Although obviously, if you're an extrovert, then uh, no worries, you can go and sit in a coffee shop with a whole load of other extrovert writers. And that'll be fine. I mean, I, I write in coffee shops sometimes, but I um, put in headphones and listen to like rain or something to shut out all the noise. It actually is a lot of writers who listen to rain um, because it, it shuts out some noise. And I think, you know, you have to find where your state of concentration is. I associate rain with writing, which helps in England. 
So you hear rain and your brain thinks, right, it's time to write. Yeah. Is there anything else that you can think of that's like, this is important advice? And it may be from Joanna the writer or it may be Joanna the business person. Uh, well, I think mainly it's you've got to have an, uh, an attitude of being a creative entrepreneur, which is you create stuff from your brain and you put it out there in the world and you don't wait for that one thing something to happen to that one thing you get creating the next thing and putting that into the world i mean you write one book oh and then you write another book and another book and another book so and that's both the fun and the challenge but this is this is what we do and also this is this is like the best time ever to be a writer we've got so many opportunities so many options for publishing for marketing i mean things are so cheap compared to where they were spend your money on an editor and a cover designer but things like marketing you know most of this stuff you can do for free or really really cheap so i mean it's the best startup business possible you know compared to something like a scuba diving business for goodness sake well you're speaking from experience there aren't you obviously yeah when you have to have a boat (laughs) so um yeah i mean essentially it's just such an exciting time so yeah and and i've got on my website there's um the author 2.0 blueprint which is it's basically a book about how to self-publish it's free there's also the podcast uh there's over 200 episodes there so people can listen to what lots of other people have got to say for for free as well so lots of information um yeah can i just pick up on one particular thing that you just said there just to ask Mm. Ask your opinion. Um, you kind of implied that actually it doesn't matter if something fails. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake. It, it, in one sense, you just get on with it. Is, is that correct? Have I interpreted that right? I mean, what's, what's your attitude to yeah, of course. failing at something? Life is not about succeeding at everything, is it? I mean, we learn from our mistakes and... You know, uh, what's so crazy also about writing is people assume that this first book is is, and they spend years writing just one book and that's going to work. I mean, every other creative industry is all about creating more stuff. So write more books. You know, you you are surely going to be better on your 10th book than you were in your first book. I mean, you surely are because of practice and what you've learned. I certainly am. I'm just writing my eighth novel at the moment. I am certainly a better writer than I was with my first book. So when, you know, what a, failure to me is just, oh, yeah, so I wrote a book and it didn't sell many copies. But, hey, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to write another one. This is a long-term plan. It's not that big a deal. So, yeah, I just... Don't worry about it. You know, I I also try and advise people to think in terms of Olympic years. So in one year, well, because one year, especially if you have a day job, you can't necessarily achieve too much in one year. But if you think about, I mean, you can definitely write a novel in a year if you write, you know, regularly and all of that. Um, But in four years, you can certainly do a lot. So one, you know, if you think where you were at, um, like the Beijing Olympics, for example. Uh, but at the Beijing Olympics, I was—I had a day job. I was living in Australia. I was a consultant. Uh, you know, I had—I uh, wasn't writing fiction. I had no—I um, did have a website, but I didn't have anything. And I had really very little traffic. I had no Twitter account. You know, there's so many things. And then at the London Olympics, I think they're the right two, the four years between them. I was living in London. I was a full-time author. I'd written several fiction novels, uh, you know, all, all of these changes has happened over four years. And then again, by 2016, with the Rio Olympics, you know, again, my life will 
of moved on by a lot. So I think if if I I'd urge people try and remember where you what you were doing during the Beijing Olympics, what what were you doing at the London Olympics? Can you see how far you things moved in that time, and then use that energy to spend the next four years focusing on what you want to achieve and it will be amazing what you can achieve in four years brilliant <laughs> so how do we <laughs> how can we find your written work joanna and how can we find out what what you're getting up to yeah sure so uh if people want to know more about writing publishing book marketing and the business of being an author um the creative pen.com and that's pen with a double n and uh the, you can get the blueprint there uh, my books how to market a book and business for authors are on uh, on amazon and all the bookstores and then my fiction jf pen f for francis if anyone was wondering uh is that the books are also available at all online bookstores and jf pen Dot com you can get a free ebook so if anyone wants to try out day of the vikings which is uh, set in the british museum then uh, then you can get that for free at jf pen and i know that you had great fun writing that you had a you had a real oh, super fun super fun <laughs> joanna thank you very much for your time no worries it's, that's been a great conversation There's some really fascinating things for people to take away and think about happy times yeah great times <laughs> yeah well thanks so much for having me andrew you're very welcome thank you for your time joanna cheers bye-bye Bye. the second half of this podcast is an interview with three enthusiastic self-publishers each working on a very different project Holly Phipps is 18 and a sixth form student here in Cambridge. She has self-published a children's picture book of Bible stories using the print self-publisher Blurb. Glenn Myers has formed his own publishing company, Fizz Books, and has published in print an e-book. His latest book, More Than Bananas, is printed by Lightning Source, and Glenn will be telling us why he chose them. And Heather Flack is a retired teacher and local historian. She has written books on the history of her hometown of Bewdley. And in our conversation, she tells us why she chose to use a local printer for her latest project, which is a collaboration with a local school. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here it is. So welcome, Heather, Holly and Glenn to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. Holly, I'd like to start off with you, please, if I may. Can we kick off by you telling me a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your book that you've self-published and why you self-published it? Yeah, so I'm a sixth form student. My book originally, well, it's something I've always wanted to do, but originally came from wanting to do it for my extended project. Primarily, I wrote my book as a book of my favourite Bible stories, and I did it in partnership with my church. And I'm really involved in the kids' work. That's something I'm really passionate about. So it was just to involve children in the stories of the Bible. Okay, Glenn, do you want to introduce yourself then? Tell us a little bit about yourself and the book that you've self-published that we're going to discuss. Yeah, I've been a writer basically all my life. Published non-fiction conventionally. But when I, a few years ago, wanted to realise a long-held desire to write fiction, I found it much tougher to sell and ended up self-publishing about five years ago. And was that uh, ebook self-publishing or print self-publishing or both? Uh, back then, it was actually pretty well before Kindle and EPUB. Print-on-demand was the great thing that drew me into it, actually, because for the first time, you didn't have to push up a big amount of capital to print say 500 
or a thousand copies of a book. You could actually just print just one. So back in 2010, the only snag with the self-publishing was in order to talk to the print-on-demand printers, uh, you had to be a limited company. So I had to incorporate former business, uh, which I did. And then this company, effectively a publishing company, has now published three books, two fiction and one non-fiction. And it's been good. I've been really pleased I've done it. I've been very happy. But yeah, there's, there's also a downside. Okay, and we will come to the delights and difficulties of self-publishing a little bit later on. Holly, I'm just having a look at a copy of your book right now, and it has about 30 pages, I guess. And the way you set it out is you've got some text on one side and then some colour pictures on the other. In fact, most of them are the children looking like they're acting out some of the stories that that you're telling in your book. And you chose um, a company called Blurb to publish your book. Why did you choose them? Part of my process of choosing, I did look through a lot of different companies and actually tried and tested quite a few. So like went through the whole process and kind of looking at the software and how it worked and which was the simplest and easiest to follow. Okay, so Blurb was the one that that looked like it was the most straightforward. Yeah, definitely. It was really good because I could just insert a picture alongside some text, which was really simple and easy. Okay. Now, Heather, I know your book was also a collaborative project with children. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into self-publishing, because I know uh, the book that we particularly want to talk about this evening, which is Beautifully Under the White Rose, wasn't the first publication that you produced. Right. I retired to live in Beaudley about seven and a half years ago. I was already into the history of the area anyway, but got more interested, obviously, by living here. And one of the first things I did when I retired was to sign up to do a master's degree in English local history. And one of my projects was on a medieval town. And my professor said, well, why don't you do Beaudley? So I thought, That's a jolly good idea. So I did my project on Beaudley and actually managed to push back the history of the town, well, 100, if not 200 years. So I thought, well, this is really good, interesting material that we should get out there. And I said to the Beaudley Civic Society that I'd do a talk on it. And I thought it would be really good if one could have something to sell at the talk. So I thought, I'll do that. I'll try and put my project into a publishable form. And I thought probably self-publishing was the line to go down, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to get an ISBN. I can't remember now how I managed to find out about Nielsen. I contacted them. They were very helpful. You have to buy 10 numbers, though. So I bought 10 numbers and they cost me just under £112. And then I just pressed on with doing my own formatting. So I just did it in Word, laid it out with, with illustrations. So you did it yourself, really. You, you bought your ISBN numbers, you formatted it yourself, you used Word, you combined text and pictures. Presumably you then needed to go to a, a printer. How, how did you go about that? Because I'm a member of the Beaudley Historical Research Group and we've done books on Beaudley in the past. We have a relationship with a printer and they were very helpful. They may not be the cheapest, but I know they, they're reliable. They helped me with the cover and, and just met the deadline. Okay, now, Glenn, I'm just looking at one particular book of yours called More Than Bananas, which you've published Mm -hmm. using Lightning Source. Yes. 
So why did you choose Lightning Source for your book? They really are a service to publishers, and publishers who want to keep books in print can go to the Lightning Source and say, can you keep this book in print? Uh, it means that if anybody orders it, Lightning Source can basically print one or ten and ship it to the person, deliver it, uh, without the publisher needing to do anything, and for keeping books in print. I chose them because for about £50, I could, I could load the text up, the typeset text, load a cover up, and then... Having paid that, it was then possible for anybody in any bookshop anywhere on earth to order the book. Uh, Lightning Source would fulfill that order and send me the money. So it was like easy. Now, your book, Glenn, does have an ISBN number. Did they sort out that for you? No, in fact, you can buy them in blocks of about 10. Anybody can buy them. They're not restricted. And really, it's that act of buying a block of 10 ISBNs, that is essentially what makes you a publisher. (laughs) So for you, your customers being able to easily locate and identify and purchase your book was quite important. And that gave you the opportunity to do that. That's right. They also feed into Amazon and all the internet people. And better still, um, you can order your own copies, uh, and in particular that title, More Than Bananas, uh, I can order them shipped straight to me for about pound fifty a copy. It varies a bit depending on how many you order. Right. So even on very small orders, you, you can get them at about that. Time. Yeah, that's right. And it's them for three or four pounds very easily, and it's, it just all kind of works. Okay. So, Holly, as far as I can see, there isn't an ISBN number on your book. So you didn't worry about that sort of thing or you weren't, that wasn't a particular issue for you with, with the project that you were doing? Yeah, I wasn't really publishing the book to sell it. I mean, I have sold out of the copies I ordered, but I wasn't doing it as a selling project. All the money I've made has gone to the church. Um, it was more of a like church-based thing. So, Holly, your book is very big on coloured pictures. So half the pages have got coloured pictures on them. And and I think actually Blurb are known as a self-publisher who are very good at, at dealing with books that, that have got, got coloured pictures in them. How many copies did you buy? Um, I got a bulk order of 20. I have a waiting list of people that I haven't ordered yet. OK, now, Heather, your book, Beautifully Under the White Rose, do you want to just spend a moment telling us a little bit about that book? What was the thinking behind it, how it came to be created? We've been invited into our local high school for the last three years to do a project with year seven pupils. So they're like 11 coming on 12. And it had been decided to do the late medieval period, the Wars of the Roses. I thought I would also like to work with some English pupils writing. And I went in and I talked to the uh, group. They were about 25 of them, I think. And, and gave them some basic history of Beaudley in this period and then said, how about writing some letters and some wills? I gave them examples uh, of the sort of thing that would have been done in the late 1400s. And then I went back in to look at what they'd produced. And it was just wonderful stuff. They just let their imaginations fly. I took one piece from each of the pupils and then we had a two-day project working with uh, some other students of the same age group who were doing art and research. And I got some of them to do some pictures And with all that and my own work, put it all together into a book. So you then had lots of material, images, words. Did you then have to spend some time, I guess quite a bit of time, collating it all as a manuscript? How much time did that take? It was it was easily done by the end of the year. But at a push, I could have done it within a couple of months. Right. Okay. 
Glenn. So you worked with Lightning mm-hmm. Source. What was that like? What was your experience of working with them? Yeah, you probably do need to know your way around a bit to publishing world. I was quite comfortable, for example, typesetting the thing myself. I've done some of that. I had software to do it to their standard. So it's not a massive standard, but it's, they want a PDF with the fonts embedded. It's slightly technical. The cover, again, I actually went to a, a friend who's a graphic designer with all the kit. So you kind of need to produce the professional files. Then you have two files, a cover and the innards. You yourself are pretty responsible to to make sure it all works, that the the chapters start on the right-hand page, if that's important to you, and all of that right number of pages. They don't do anything other than print the files you send them. Uh, Now, that suited me, kept my prices low, uh, but they don't do any sort of hand-holding at that level. They have actually changed in the last year or two and introduced a whole new side of things, which is more tailored to authors. I've not tried that, but it looks like they are trying to get into that market, and I think that's a good but it does sound as if you've you've really got to know what you're doing. Yeah, they're a bit more sort of professional in that sense. And nowadays, of course, I mean, 20 cents only five years ago is quite a long time in terms of publishing revolutions. And now there, there are people much more tailored to just authors producing stuff. And you can do it at a good price and it's it's easy and nice. Holly. Yeah. Same question to you then. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Blurb? What were the good bits? Mm -hmm. What were the bad bits? How helpful were they? Did they help you with any of the actual production? Yeah. Okay. So the actual process of production was probably the easiest thing I've done on a computer. They lead you through a really simple process of kind of choosing what cover you want, what pages. They send you samples of pages so you can actually feel what the gloss is going to be like. Then they say exactly what it's going to cost, exactly what it would look like, how that would work in terms of your book. So that was really, really simple. And like I said earlier, uploading the images was really, really simple and easy. Uploading the text was slightly harder just because obviously if you're doing it from a Word document, you kind of have to guess what words you can include on a page, for example, um, and they don't specifically say that, which was fine. Um, the only problem I had was with the cover page so they give you a preview of what your book's going to look like and online mine looked fine um, and all the text was aligned and then when it was printed some of the text was just images which wasn't a major issue but was just tricky so actually what they showed you on the screen was slightly different from what you got as a physical copy of the the piece I'm assuming from what you're saying that you didn't get anyone to professionally typeset this. Yeah, no, it was more getting in the actual stories and the words in the right formation because it was mainly targeted at families. So it would be a parent reading it to a child. But obviously I was kind of writing it as child literature because I was aiming it at it being read to children. So for me, it was more just presenting the story in a way chronologically fitted with the Bible. Okay. So if we can talk about the budget for these things. Holly, your book is about 30 pages. It's nicely produced. It's nice glossy pages. It's got colour pictures. And you got 20 copies, yeah. I think. So how much did that work out in terms of the cost to you for each to book? To me, for each book, it was around £13, mainly just because of the images and because it was really high quality print and stuff, which is really expensive for a book. But people buying it were people who were actually in the book or checked. But I got all the money back. 
Okay, and again, just looking at it and feeling it, you can feel that the paper is quite thick. It's very good quality, lots of colour images. I suppose when you think about how much a child's storybook would cost, it's that sort of market. Yeah. I know you, you've not pitched it in a market to sell it, but it's that that's what you're trying to Yeah, it's about. almost a picture book as such. They did have an option on Blurb to produce a picture book, and I did go through with that for a few of the stages and then realised that you couldn't insert text or large amounts of text into that but that would definitely be an option if someone was thinking of producing a just picture-based book. And I think that in the world of print self-publishing, Blurb are the go-to people for children's picture books. Um, Glenn, your book, I think, is a little bit cheaper per per copy from what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, if you just buy one, it's something like £2. If you go up to 20 it's more like £1.50. They, have a, they also have a, a little cost of £1 something just for any order, whether it's 1 or 20 So obviously, if you just buy one, then they stick this other pound on, which spoils the economics a bit. But uh, no, I found it very reasonable. Interestingly, with Lightning Source, uh, it's, the economics work a lot better with a smaller book. The one you have more than bananas, I think 112 pages or something. Yes, it is. It's about that. It's about 120. It's the sort of standard size yeah. of a, a paperback, 112 pages. Yeah. Whereas the two fiction books are about 300 pages, and they would cost me more like £3.54. So it gives me a bit less of a margin to play with and to discount and sell to people, that kind of thing. There are no pictures as such, and there's, there's no photographs or anything like that. That's right. it? So it's a text paperback book. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Heather, how many copies of Beauty Under the White Rose did you have printed? I had 300 printed. Right, okay. And how much did it cost you to get those 300 printed? They work out at £4 each. I sell them for £6.50. Right, so you've actually gone with putting the price. I noticed you put the price actually as part of the cover, so you kind of committed to selling at that price. Yes, and so the project might lose me money, but I, I don't worry about that. I think £6.50 for a book like this, it's got, what, 76 pages in it with lots of pictures, is about right. If I charged £8, people wouldn't be buying it. I guess it's one of those perennial topics that, that self-publishers talk about is how much do you sell your book? Well, it, when I sell it, I mean, if I do a talk, I have my books there. But marketing is about the most difficult thing, that the writing is a, fine. I can do that. Selling these books is much harder. The very first book, the, the Beaudley Early Years, we... We had a bookshop in Beaudley then, and they sold us the copies. They've gone. Uh, but in Beaudley, we have a tourist information centre, and they stock my books, but they take a commission. Um, the library in Beaudley also has some of my books. They also take a commission. I think it's about 20%. Right. And I think a lot of people who have been involved in self-publishing would say the same thing in that it's the sales and marketing aspects of it that can prove to be a real challenge. If you were coming to this project now, knowing what you know, are there things that you would do? I don't think there is. I mean, I realise that there are lots of other ways of self-publishing and that I've only gone down one particular route. But I'm doing local history and my market is probably very local rather than national or international. So I think probably for what I do, namely local history, getting the books printed by a local printer at a small print run, 250 or 300, is, is probably the way to do it. Okay, so then as far as you're concerned, I think you alluded to the fact that the self-publishing industry has changed over time. Yeah. If you were doing it all again, 
what would you do differently now? How would you approach it? A couple of things. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't bother incorporating. I wouldn't be a limited company. You can talk to Lightning Source these days without being. So that's a whole overhead you don't have to have. That's easy. Second thing, looking at Amazon, Amazon fancied a bit of this business, I think, and they formed their own print-on-demand outfit called CreateSpace, tailored to authors. You can design a cover if you want, and it gives you sort of privileged access to Amazon. You find that if you publish a book with Lightning source after a while it starts to become unavailable or three weeks order or something uh, that's because they want you to go with create space if you go with create space it's never out of stock at amazon so i'd go with create space to put it on amazon and i'd go with lightning source still to ha- talk to everybody else all the bookshops if you could stretch your budget or find a friend get a professional cover design maybe it would cost you one or two hundred pounds you could use it both with a create space cover and with and with uh, lightning source i'd do that because it just makes the book stand out a good cover yes i'd go with those two i'd also go with kindle which again amazon will hold your hand lead you through it and you can have a Kindle version. The fourth one I would use is an outfit called Smashwords, uh, who will take your Word file and turn it into an EPUB book, which is a slightly different format for everything that isn't Kindle. So all your Kobo and Barnes and & Noble and all WH Smith, all these people, they use EPUB. Smashwords will distribute to them all. So they'll just take your text, distribute to iTunes, uh, to everybody who sells EPUB books. So those four, I think, are probably what I would go with if I wanted to comprehensively reach my market. So your first two options were for the print self-publishing world, weren't they? I think there was... Uh, so you'd still yep. go with Lightning Source to reach the uh, bookshops and, and get that. Um, you'd go with... And to deliver to my own home as well, selfish. Okay. And then uh, create space as well as your other print publishing option, and then you would use Kindle Direct Publishing for their ebooks, and then Smashwords for the other formats. That's right. Okay. And that really cover everything. Do you use a professional editor at all as well, Glenn, for for any of your work? I, I would say the number one mistake that self publishers make is because it's so easy to publish. It's really easy to publish a half cooked half done book and you've got to do everything in your power not to do that <laughs> and, and again i was a little bit fortunate with my background that i have edited books so you can kind of try and put an editorial hat on and go through it perhaps i was fortunate in in, in you know my own sort of skills and experience a bit but uh, certainly either a professional editor or just a, a, a persnickety friend would be also a persnickety friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know these people picking faults. You know, they well, yes. made them for a reason, and it was to look yes, through your money. Yes. Some people have a gift That's for that. Right. Um, so now, Holly, your situation was a little bit different in that this was a this was a college project for you. Yeah. Wasn't it? Now, as you look back on that project. Are there things that if you were doing it now, you would do differently at all? I think so. As part of the project, there were a whole load of things we had to do. So the actual publishing of the book really wasn't a major part. So if I was doing it again, I'd just spend so much more time on the actual publishing of the book. Because obviously, primarily, that's what I was inspired to do. And that's I that's what I loved doing. So, uh, yeah, I'd say about 80% of the actual project was kind of research, making charts, making timelines, all the stuff you have to do to get the qualification. So, yeah, like I would love to self-publish again um, and actually just spend some time really immersing myself rather than kind of spending time on research and what will look good in a project and stuff like that. Okay. 
So, Heather, if somebody else is working on a local history project or they're doing something quite local but they want to create a book, is there advice that you would want to give that person as they embark on a I project? I think it would be to find out all the different ways that you could do it. I mean, I... I think I thought there was only this way. And maybe five years ago, it was a different ball game, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was. I mean, we have to remember that you started this in 2010, which actually in self-publishing time is quite a long time. Yes, ago. it's not quite the same now, although I'm doing it the same. There are other options, and I think people need to have a good look at those other options. But but it does strike me that it's, it's this marketing issue it, again and again. I think you're right in that there is a huge challenge for anybody who produces a book, which is that they need to get profiled to market that book. I think for books like like your one, uh, where you're talking about something of local interest, the, the best way to market it is for you to market yourself as a speaker, as somebody who can get in front of people and just talk about the subject. Yes, and using your local outlets like a tourist information centre and a library and any kind of museum shops. Things like a local museum, again, you've got the real possibility there because people are going in who are interested in the locality and they see a book and think, oh, that looks interesting. Um, Oh, I know somebody who needs a present, you know. So is there any other advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking of embarking on a self-publishing project, perhaps particularly one where, as you've done, they're working on a local topic and they want to produce a book that's specific to a local area? I think I would say don't expect necessarily to make any money out of it. People need to know that it's expensive. This isn't a cheap, easy thing to do. And it's, and it's, it's kind of costly in terms of your creativity. Okay. If somebody is trying to do a similar project to this, would you be happy to have them contact you via your website or drop you a line? Would you be happy to give them some advice? I'm very happy to help anybody who's trying to do something like this. But obviously, I can only speak from the experience that I have had. And there will be other people who can give them insight into different experiences. And I think that was what I was saying earlier, that it's very important that people do their research as to the different avenues they can go down. I can talk to them about how I've done it and I'm very happy to do that. Okay if somebody's interested in a project like this they could drop you a line using your email which is on your website. Yes. Okay Glenn is there anything else you would want to say about the process that you've been through or about the self-publishing generally something that people would need to hear that that we haven't covered i think with fiction or maybe it's with any project but there is a joy in self-publishing in that this thing that's on your heart you can actually bring it to birth hold it in your hands give it to real people and actually that's fantastic there are lots of pitfalls especially sending something out that's underdone but in the old days you had to go to a you know a gatekeeper a literary agent a publisher they were the ones judging it you can actually get this thing out you can see it you can sell it you can see how it goes yourself actually i think that's brilliant i really think that is a fantastic gain that the self-publishing revolution has brought okay holly what about you is there anything else that you think we haven't covered or mentioned that would be something that you'd want to say to people that are starting a self-publishing project i guess yeah it's really rewarding i think it's a lot more personal self-publishing something because you can pretty much do anything you want to do and obviously target it at an audience but specific but make sure that it's something that you're inspired to do and yeah i think it's really rewarding for anyone who does it 
Uh, so a final question, yet I'd, I'll probably start with you, Holly, on this one. So if people are interested in seeing the book, getting the book that you've produced, how can they do that? Well, I'd be happy to deal with any requests. I'm happy to speak to people. So we can let people know your email address, which is hp119068 at hillsroad, which is spelled H-I-L-L-S-R-O-A-D dot A-C yeah, that's the easiest way. So you're happy for people to drop your line? Yeah, um, you'd have to be quite interested in the Bible, children and stuff like that. <laughs> or, or I guess if people were interested in seeing a, a real live example of something from Blurb, they could get it as well. Yeah, you? definitely. Yeah. Okay. And Glenn, how about you? If people want to see your range of work? <laughs> Should the urge come <laughs> upon them? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got a website. Glenn Myers, uh, two ends in Glenn, info. So www.glennmyers.info, M-Y-E-R-S. So that would be info. So everything's there. And also on on Amazon, I've got an author page. Ah, okay. So they can look you up on Amazon and then access your work that way. Great. Okay, so Heather, we've talked a little bit about people contacting you if they want some advice, but how do people access your work? My website is www.flackbooks.com. Okay, well, thank you all very much for your time, Heather, Holly, and Glenn. Thank you, Andy. That's a pleasure. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fascinating to hear your stories, and good luck to all of you in the future. Mm -hmm.